Hello, my name is Heather and I am your host for the Urban Permaculture Podcast sponsored by Hogs and Hens Urban Farm. Today we're going to talk a little bit about ways to save money while establishing or growing your permaculture food forest. Now all of the practices that I'm going to talk about are applicable to really any type of gardening situation. Whether you are gardening on a terrace or a patio or balcony in an apartment, whether you are starting little seedlings in your dorm room, or whether you have a full-scale, multiple-acre operation, uh, full-size food forest, these are all things that are going to apply. Um, One of the first things that I want to talk about are plant swaps. Um, I actually just established one of those in our local community because we had plenty of sites that were available for selling plants starts and, and things like that, but we didn't really have a swap set up. Now, what these plant swaps are is a way for you to take plants that you've propagated and trade them to other plant lovers for things that they've propagated. Now, this could be something as simple as you know, I recently split down my pothos, which are a house plant that grow uh, fantastically, super easy to propagate. You can just clip them, put them in some water, they'll develop roots, and then you can pot them or even just grow them hydroponically in water. I took those pothos then and I listed my starts available for trade. And I have a woman that I'm trading some of my pothos houseplant starts for, um, raspberry canes. So instead of me spending 5 to $15 on raspberry canes from a greenhouse nursery or from the garden department at my local big box store, I'm actually able to get them completely for free with just a little bit of effort in starting these pothos starts. You can do this with house plants, you can do this with all of your garden plants. Another common one is black-eyed Susans. Um, those propagate, self-propagate very well. So you can take starts of those and trade those, as well as, well, really any plant. Any plant that you can can dig up and trade with others who've done the same are a fantastic way for you to get new species. And if you're trading with people who are in your area, you know that the plants that you're getting are going to be acclimated to your climate. Now, some drawbacks on that. You do have to be careful because that is a way to introduce new pests and diseases to your garden. So you do have to be very careful and kind of vet your flowers a little bit and your, your veggies by making sure that they're healthy before you put them into your garden. Another way that you can save some serious money while getting started especially is to just ask around for seeds or starts. Um, I simply made a post on my personal Facebook page asking, hey, I'm looking for berry canes and starts. Um, I have, oh gosh, I want to say raspberries, blueberries, blackberries, elderberries, and gooseberries that were all offered up to me as starts. All I have to do is go and take some cuttings And I have friends that are willing to give those to me. Again, it saves so much money. That is beneficial because it helps the person who's giving it to you by thinning their their plants. Um, Sometimes you get to a thicket that's entirely too overgrown and it competes for lights and nutrient and water. And so 
they they need to thin theirs anyway. So this is a way of making best use of that. Forgive me, I am fighting off a wicked cold, which is why this episode's a day late, and it's why I sound terrible today. Another way to save some serious money in the garden is to look around for free mulch. Um, A great place to start is to reach out to some local arborists, um, tree services. So we have a friend that owns a tree trimming business, and he uh, is an arborist. He cuts down trees, he trims trees, etc., The trimmings then get thrown into a giant wood chipper, which shreds that wood and creates a very nice organic mulch. Now, I say organic, it doesn't necessarily mean it's organic. These trees could be sprayed with pesticides and herbicides, but for the most part, generally, that's not an issue with the trees that we're getting a hold of. That mulch is an invaluable resource. You can get it in large quantities. Oftentimes, they'll deliver right to your property. They'll just swing by and dump truckloads of mulch for you. Sometimes you can go to them and load your truck up. It depends on the individual arborist. Now, we go and fill our truck up, and we get tons and tons of this mulch for free. We then bring it home, dump it in a great big pile where it sits, and it ages for some time to break down and begin to compost a little before we add it to our garden paths and to our garden. As we've talked about in our soil episode, mulch is a fantastic way to build your soil up and to really get some good soil biology going. It's a fantastic way to reduce the amount of watering that you need to do. And depending on the climate, it could cost quite a bit to water your garden and to keep it, you know, well watered. I'm fortunate. I live in an area where the water is not expensive, We do not have a watering ban. We live on an aquifer right down from a river, so there is adequate water for us. But for those of you who are, say, in California or in the desert, that may become a problem. So having mulch helps to keep what rainfall you do have, keep that water localized to your plants. And rather than paying for bags of mulch, which may have chemicals sprayed on them, this is a fantastic way to have free mulch to help build that soil and keep that moisture in at no cost to you, other than a little sweat equity. Compost. I could talk until I'm blue in the face about compost. There are many ways to compost. In a later episode, I'll talk about that. But on the most basic level, if you get a, a large storage tub, drill some holes in the lid, and simply throw your kitchen scraps in, Layer it with some shredded newspaper, some shredded junk mail, being sure to keep out bits of plastic and uh, shiny, colorized, um, glossy print like magazines, for example. You don't want those in there. But the black and white text print that you get in so much junk mail, just run that through a paper shredder and throw it in there. You can throw leaves in there. But your kitchen scraps, coffee grinds, tea, making sure to keep out the staples that are on tea bags or any plastic tea bags or strings is a great way to start building some of that kitchen compost. Compost adds so much beneficial nutrients to your garden. It's a way to avoid having to pay for fertilizers and soil amendments, and it costs nothing, just a little time. Next up, I'm going to talk about pallets. Now, we use pallets in so many different ways 
around our forest and around our garden. Pallets are how we built our large composting uh, setup. We located free pallets from friends and businesses in the area. We went and retrieved them. We broke them down and then reassembled them to be more sturdy. And then we built the walls of our pallet compost bin with those, including the front doors on our compost bin, which are just a drop pin situation so that we can easily pull them out to shovel out the compost and put it in our gardens. It's, it's super easy construction. Bob is going to talk about that in a later episode. Um, but we use it for that. You can use pallets to create raised garden beds. There are several tutorials on YouTube and you can listen to Bob talk about that later as well. You can use pallet wood to mend fences. You can use pallet wood to build a garden table that you use for planting. You can use it to build tables and chairs and a whole host of other things. Now, you got to be careful with pallets because some pallets have been sprayed with chemicals and they're treated lumber. Those you don't want in your garden. You don't want those chemicals to leach out into, you know, your garden. Because the idea here is to create a symbiotic natural environment. With permaculture, the idea is as close to nature as you can. Now, in nature, when you have a forest, the leaves drop, they mulch themselves, they turn into a thick mat, they rot, and fungus takes over, worms and microbes get in there and break that down and turn it into super rich soil at the base of the forest. Limbs, tree branches, etc., are going to fall. Animals are going to um, leave their droppings behind. And so all of those things are, are going to happen in nature. Well, we're synthesizing that by creating a compost bin that does all of those things. By creating a pile of those things, you're going to build some heat inside there. And as long as you stir it occasionally to let air in, it's going to rapidly decom- decompose and you're going to simulate a forest floor. We're going to talk about upcycling next. Now, upcycling is a super resourceful way to really save money in your food forest. We use it to start our seeds. Um, So in the past, we've purchased some seedlings, um, some plant starts from greenhouses. We've saved the little black um, cells that they come in. And then we just fill those up with our own seed starting mix and start our seeds in those and recycle them. Eventually they do get brittle and you will need to get rid of them, recycle them when possible. But you can also use things like, you know, plastic cups, um, yogurt containers, cottage cheese containers, milk jugs are fantastic, um, especially the opaque ones. Leave the lid on them and cut the sides out and you can make them open up and you can create little tiny cloche, which is a mini greenhouse where you can start your seedlings in an enclosed environment much earlier in the season than if you were to start seeds just outside in the chilly air. Other ways of recycling would be to do what we did. We used, um, a friend of ours had a, a fence, a picket fence, a six foot picket fence, and he was replacing it because it was getting a little rotted for his liking. We took those and we cut them down and took the usable panels and created garden beds out of them. 
Um, our beds are nine foot long by three foot wide, and they're made entirely out of recycled lumber. So we recycled those. It's okay that they're somewhat rotted because our garden beds are temporary. Eventually, they're going to have trees planted between them. And as that wood rots down, it's going to create, again, that wooded environment for our plants to really grow and thrive in. So it's a fantastic way to upcycle wood. Another thing that you can upcycle is feed bags. So a lot of your feed, like chicken feed, for example, comes in um, these plastic bags that are woven. Um, If you turn them inside out and clean them really well, you can fold them over and sew them and make little grow bags out of them. Fantastic for growing things like potatoes and um, other vegetables. You can put handles on them so you can easily move them around. You can cut little slits in the bottom of them to allow for drainage, but they're tough and durable, and you can use those for a host of things. I like to use them for growing potatoes in, just because when it's time to harvest the potatoes, you simply simply empty the, the potato bag, and it's really easy to rinse and get your potatoes out, and your dirt then can be poured right into your garden beds or sprinkle it around into your permaculture food forest. Seed saving. My goodness, seed saving is the most number one frugal way to grow your garden. So when you harvest a tomato, for example, take the center part of that tomato where the seeds are at on a very ripe tomato and simply smear that tomato on a paper towel. Leave those seeds and that that tomato goo on your paper towel and let it dry. Once it's dried, you can flake your seeds into a container, a bag, an envelope, however you choose to save, or a recycled container. I like to use the um, jars of minced garlic. They're really small little glass jars with a screw top lid. They work fantastic for saving seeds. So I like to put those in there. I spray paint the lids so that it doesn't say minced garlic anymore. Um, I spray paint them a really pretty copper or rose gold spray paint, let them dry, and then I just use a Sharpie and label them, um, you know, Domitalia Roma tomatoes and the year. Now this spring, when I start to start my seeds, I can simply grab some tomatoes out of that, sprinkle them in my containers, water them, and I'm going to have seeds that are acclimated to my climate because they're seeds that I grew and that fruited last year. They're gonna be more resistant to the pests in our area. They're gonna be more resistant to the diseases in our area. And they're gonna thrive in my soil and my climate. Seed saving is a great way to um, build up a, a nice little seed bank of your own that you can then trade. So my Doma Italia tomatoes, they grew huge. They were the biggest tomatoes I've ever seen in my life. They were Roma tomatoes the size of softballs. Now, those are going to be a hot commodity for other people in my area. One thing that I did not get to grow well this year was eggplant. So I am currently in my seed swap group looking for somebody who successfully grew eggplant in my area. And I'd like to trade with them for some of my giant Romas. That's an easy free way for me to get some new seeds 
that are acclimated in my climate and to pass on these tomatoes I've created that are a hearty tomato. You can do that with most fruits and vegetables. Pay attention though, because some plants are biannual, which means they don't produce seed every single year. Some are every other year. Some require specific conditions in order for them to go to seed. And some go to seed really easily. Lettuce, for example, um, you'll hear the term bolting in the gardening communities. And that's when it goes to flower because it's rapidly trying to produce seed. That happens a lot in lettuce when it gets too warm. But saving your seeds year over year is a fantastic way for you to continue on uh, without having to purchase seed because purchasing seed really is expensive over time. Now, it doesn't seem like it when you're looking at seed packets that are anywhere from 50 cents to $15. 50 cents, you're thinking, that's not much at all, but that's one variety of one type of vegetable. Once you've added up how many veggies you want to grow, that can add quickly. And your germination rate is never 100%. You're going to have some seeds that just don't germinate, meaning they don't spread roots, they don't grow. It's normal. Not 100% of all seeds are going to be fertile. So when you factor that in, it adds. By saving seeds, you have eliminated that seed cost. And I did that this year with squash, tomatoes, peppers, and a few other vegetables. I did not seed, seed save on some of my things. So my nasturtium, for example. I didn't actively go out and collect my nasturtium seeds, but what I did do was I let them flower and go to seed, and I let them drop their seed in place. I'm letting them do what's called self-seeding. That is where I let them drop seed, and they're going to grow when the conditions are right where they were before. With any luck, they'll spread and continue to self-propagate until I have a really thick bed of nasturtium, at which point I'll then start seed saving to move my nasturtium. Now, with seed saving, you can continue to grow those outdoors and propagate them in your food forest, or you can also grow them in containers indoors. We're going to be growing nasturtium indoors this year. Another thing that you can do that's going to save you money is Grow for your grow zone. What I mean by that, I live in Ohio in a zone 6A. What that means is it gets kind of cold here in the winter. In fact, last week it was negative 36 with the wind chill. Um, that was a very atypical year for us. It was negative 9. Um, I heard rumors of negative 13 in areas. But at my home, it got negative 13 with wind chill. I can't grow citrus fruits here. I can grow some things like a Myers lemon tree, for example, but that has to be brought in every year. That's not something I'm going to plant in my food forest because the idea of a food forest is to kind of set it and forget it. The idea is you plant it, you water it, and you take care of it up front a little, but once it's established, you shouldn't really have to do much with it. The idea is to set this up as close to nature as possible. I can't do that with citrus fruits here in Ohio. They just aren't designed to grow. Now, there are some varieties that are cold tolerant of some vegetables that are typically considered tropical. They're not going to grow to their maximum height 
and they're not going to be as fruitful as they could have been if they were grown in their zone. So especially when you're first starting out, stick to plants that are native and acclimated to your area. Another way that you can save some money is to plant some flowers and ornamentals in your garden. Now, what I mean by that, marigolds, for example, are very inexpensive seeds to acquire. They're very hardy and they self-seed. Marigolds are beautiful flowers that will attract pollinators into your forest and into your garden situations. <coughs> they are going to bring those pollinators in, which means that you're going to have more fruiting. You're going to have more germination. You're going to have more fertilization, and it's going to overall help. It also helps to bring in bees, and bees are going to pollinate other animal or other, I'm sorry, flowers for your, your vegetables and fruits. So planting some flowers and ornamentals in with your garden are both aesthetically helpful as well as functional. More ways to save money are to, in your permaculture food forest, to create what are known as swales. Now, a swale is where you create valleys and you create hills to direct the flow of water. Now, before you just start dig around, digging around and moving soil around on your property, you're going to want to spend some time paying attention to where the water naturally flows on your property line in the area you're looking at doing some permaculture. So our, our permaculture forest has a slight forward slant. It slants towards the road ever so slightly, which means when it rains, the water wants to run forward. So things at the back of our yard do not get nearly as much water because it trickles forward. So if I'm wanting to keep some of that moisture in, I can create a light valley in front of those areas where I have my Jerusalem artichokes, potatoes, corn, beans, and squash, as well as sunflowers planted. And I can build a mound, which I then plant things like cucumbers on, which then gives them something to vine down and, and makes use of that vertical space. It's going to then prevent me from requiring additional irrigation solutions because it's going to direct that natural water, that rain. You can also do some irrigation supplementation by planting things in areas that are suited for that plant type. For example, along the side of our home, we have a lot of shade. It doesn't get much light there and the soil is always very damp there. That's a great climate for growing mushrooms. So when I grow my mushrooms indoors, that's the perfect place for me to crumble up the leftover substrate, throw down some wood chips or some straw, saturate it really well, and just let it go. It's naturally suited for growing those things. And I know that because wild mushrooms were already growing in that area. Now, to make sure that I don't have a lot of competition, I'm simply going to like use a rake or a shovel pull back some of those wood chips and plant the substrate of the species I want to propagate in that area. I'm going to water it very lightly and mist it, and then I'm going to put down some straw and mist it again. It's really important for those things to stay damp. If I were to plant those in an area that gets full sun, 
they're going to bake off the, the moisture and it's going to kill the mycelium on the top layers. It's going to dry up the fruit when my mushrooms do start to fruit, which is to create the edible part of your mushrooms. And it's going to be a waste. So I'm going to spend all that time and money for nothing. So planting those things in an area that are naturally going to be dark and moist is a way for me to make sure that my efforts are being best put to use. Another way to save money in gardening is by companion planting. So onions, for example, are great to plant with carrots. So onions will help prevent carrot moth and carrots are good to prevent onion moths. So the, the odors from those two plants naturally ward off the pest for the other. Carrots are going to grow pretty much straight down, and the onions are going to grow mostly towards the top of the surface. So they don't really fight for the nutrition or things, and it's a way for you to add more vegetation in a smaller square footage. So in a garden situation, that means you can do what's called square foot gardening, which is where you very densely pack in vegetables into a designated area. In a food forest, it's a way for you to make more more use of your space, and soil doesn't want to be left bare. So it's a way to make sure that you are naturally preventing weeds by densely planting the area anyway. Another thing that you can do to save money in the garden is by planting things like comfrey. So comfrey is uh, by some considered a weed, but those of us in the permaculture world, it is a blessing. Comfrey is a fantastic plant. It is really easy to grow and it grows ridiculously thick, deep rooted tap roots. That's going to naturally go down and break up the soil for you so that you don't have to spend a lot of time, money and effort digging into your garden or breaking that soil up so that other plants can grow. The other fantastic thing is that comfrey has a lot of biomass. That is to say that it has a ton of leaves. You can clip those leaves off and just drop them in place to create a natural green manure or mulch. Or you can clip them, trim your plants, and throw them into your compost bin and create you know, some compost or biomass. I like to chop up comfrey and throw it in a bucket of water, leave it sit in the hot sun to break down and rot and create a liquid fertilizer that is naturally produced. That comfrey is just going to reproduce leaves. It's going to naturally grow and flourish. So you don't really have to do much work. But the comfrey can be used in between beds as a barrier to keep things from spreading. So for example, strawberries. If you plant a bunch of comfrey along the edge of your strawberry beds, it's going to help those strawberries not want to spread beyond the perimeter so much. Strawberries spread both by seed and by rhizome. They're going to send out runners and once those runners touch the soil, they're going to establish roots. And then the original runner is going to die a little bit, which is going to create a whole new strawberry plant. But if it tries to do that and it runs into comfrey, it's not going to want to do that. It's going to try to spread its roots and it's going to run into the comfrey roots and it's not going to want to do that. So it's a way of help containing things some. Now, it's not foolproof. It's not an absolute block, but it does really help. And it avoids having to pay for expensive garden barriers and trim and plastic or artificially created um, borders. Another great thing that you can do to save money in the garden is to skip out on using the fancy landscape bricks and things like that, landscaping timbers. 
in a permaculture situation, you really don't need any kind of borders, honestly. You can use them out for your walking paths, but what I find works really well is to just use sticks and twigs and stones that you harvest from the land itself and use those as a natural barrier along pathways and things. They look really pretty and they're naturally occurring. Those sticks and twigs and things are going to break down naturally. They're going to add biomass to your soil. They're going to create places for worms to get some coolness underneath. They're going to create places for fungus to grow. And they're just, they cost nothing. They're a fantastic way to save money in the garden. We saved money this year in our garden by repurposing some wood and some fencing material. We had some metal fencing, some uh some cattle panel that we had left over from another project. And we created some T-bars out of some leftover wood. And we created an overhead, almost like an arbor, that we then used to string up our tomatoes. So once our tomatoes got to be pretty big, we used just some organic twine to um, tie loosely around the base of the tomato stalks. And we tied it from these panels that we created. That allowed our tomatoes to be lifted off the ground, which helped with pest pressure, disease, splashing, and things like that, which can cause blight. And it was repurposing materials we already had around the farm. It's a fantastic way to be resourceful. You can use five-gallon buckets for a host of things. A lot of places will, um, restaurants, for example, will get things like pickles in five-gallon buckets. If you ask them, sometimes they will give them to you at no cost. Bakeries oftentimes get um, icing in three-pound or three-gallon jugs. They will often give you their empty pails with lids, um, so you can get those at no cost. If you drill uh, some drainage holes in the bottom of those, you can use those as garden planters. So those are fantastic for growing things like potatoes in, tomatoes, or really any container variety of vegetation can grow in those. A fun thing to do with those is to layer very wet straw with some mushroom substrate and drill um, holes along the edge. You just need a three-quarter inch hole drilled in various areas on the outside of the bucket. You put your mushroom substrate lasagna in between layers of very, very, very wet straw as long as there's drainage holes in the bottom so that any excess moisture leaches out. You can actually grow mushrooms right in those buckets. Um, you just want to store them somewhere damp and or cool, like a garage. And when they start to pin, which is when the mushrooms start to stick out the holes, you'll see little white furry things sticking out the holes. That's a perfect time to bring it outside to get airflow. Again, making sure it does not get direct sunlight. You want to keep it cool. You can harvest mushrooms right out of a five-gallon bucket. Um, they grow a lot stronger and a lot more voraciously than just growing in the little mushroom grow kits that you can get online. In fact, another way to save money is those mushroom grow kits. So the cost on a mushroom grow kit is anywhere from $15 to $45, depending on the type of mushroom and where you're ordering from. So you follow the directions on the package and you'll get your first fruiting. You can either try for a second fruiting in the same method by re-soaking your mushroom substrate, misting it and doing everything you did before, or what I like to do is to crumble up that substrate and allow for you to grow a whole new colony of mushrooms that'll just keep taking over. 
once you've harvested your mushrooms and they've stopped flushing, you can simply take that mushroom waste from your five gallon bucket, that mushroom compost, and dump it right in your compost bin. And it's going to be some of the most rich and fantastic compost that costs you nothing because you've, you've already harvested the mushrooms. So it's recycling a used or spent material. You don't have to compost it. I actually just um, oftentimes will dump my spent mushroom compost right into my garden. I'll sprinkle it right along the base of a tree or under some very shady plants like my zucchini, for example. Um, pull back some of these uh, compost layer, or not the compost, excuse me, the mulch layer, and sprinkle my spent compost, mushroom compost down, get it good and damp, top it with a fresh layer of mulch, moisten it again, and let it do its thing. Sometimes you'll get even more flushes of mushrooms out of it. And those mushrooms can be eaten fresh as long as they're rinsed. You can freeze them, you can dehydrate them, you can freeze dry them. And they're fantastic ways to supplement your existing garden. Not to mention that the mushrooms are going to naturally break down a lot of that um, carbon material, um, the, the, the wood and the straw and other things, and just add great soil biology to your existing garden floor. It's just going to help you develop your, you know, your soil in your food forest even faster. Um, another way that you can save money in the garden is by composting your rotten vegetation. So if you have a tomato that's been nibbled on by a squirrel, or you've got an apple that's got bugs that have nibbled through, I recommend cutting the part out that the bugs have eaten so that you can try to mitigate spreading those bugs and then just throw the apples into your compost bin. It's a fantastic way to add biomass to your compost bin in a vegetable that you or fruit that you weren't otherwise going to eat anyway. So it saves you money. Another way you can save money in the garden is by reaching out to um, the, the agricultural community and the livestock community specifically and find out if you've got friends, family, or acquaintances that raise either cattle horses, llamas, alpacas, chickens, or uh, rabbits, ducks. Any of those animals create fantastic manure. Um, manure, they're often eager to give it away for free. Um, I won't lie, it is a smelly, stinky process, but once you acquire it and uh, pile it up and let it rot for a couple months, it loses its odor actually fairly quickly, especially if you keep it damp and keep turning it frequently to allow air to get in. The smell goes away really quickly. <coughs> Excuse me. And will allow you to have some very fertile soil that you can add to your food forest, food forest floor. You can use it to help build up swales. You can use it to mix in when you're planting things, or you can just let it rot in your compost bin to use when you're ready for it. Aged manure can be used in lieu of potting soil. It can be used all over the garden and it is an invaluable resource. I'm sure I'll think of other ways to recycle or upcycle things for free. Oh, here's a great idea. I was just reminded of this. Take a two liter bottle and use the lid of the two liter bottle, take a nail and a hammer, 
and tap little holes in the lid of the two liter bottle. You can also do that with a drill. If you have a drill with a fine drill bit or a Dremel with fine heads, you can drill little holes all over the top of your cap. Fill your two liter bottle that is well cleaned out and rinsed out and free of any soda residue. Fill it up with water, screw your lid back on, and you have an awesome little watering can that you can use to water indoor plants with a very small concentrated little watering head. I use those to, um, to water when I use my liquid fertilizer that I create with my rotten comfrey leaves or my gardener's revenge uh, fertilizer, which is um, another way that you can save money in the garden. So when I pull, pull weeds from the garden or I uh, pull plants that are underdeveloped or just not doing well in an area, I will throw those into a black tub with a black lid and I will fill the tub with water. I then let that sit closed in an anaerobic environment and I let it sit in the sun where it rots for a month or two in the summer. Once the material inside is very well rotted, I do take the lid off about once a week and kind of stir it up and just check on it. But for the most part, I leave the lid on. But once it's well rotted and very mushy, I will then take that material, strain it through some cheesecloth, or if I don't have cheesecloth, I'll just use an old piece of t-shirt or terry cloth that's, that's a scrap, and I will strain it into a five-gallon bucket. Um, from there, I fill up two-liter bottles that are recycled and label them as liquid fertilizer, and I will store that, um, and it stores indefinitely. Um, I wouldn't store it more than a few years, but it does store pretty indefinitely. Um, when you're ready to use it, you're going to want to mix about one cup of that to one gallon to two gallons of water, depending on how strong you want it. And it will make a fantastic liquid fertilizer. What has happened is it will break down all of that plant matter into that liquid. It's going to kill any of the weeds that are there. It's going to kill the root structures and the seeds. It's going to break them down and they're going to be rotted in such a way that they can't grow. So you're not spreading those weeds, but you're still getting compost out of what you really shouldn't put in a compost bin. Um, you do want to avoid putting weeds into a compost bin because you do run the risk of them infecting your compost in a way that when you then later go to use your compost, you are accidentally inadvertently adding weeds and weed seeds to your garden. This is a way to still make use of those. Um, morning glories are very invasive. Once you get morning glories going, they do spread by rhizome. They will shoot out roots everywhere. They will overtake an area. When you tear them out, previously I would burn them uh, because they can't be added to my compost bin. Otherwise, I run the risk of little pieces of those, those morning glory roots escaping and, you know, getting into other parts of my garden where they would then take over. Um, but my morning glories, I can soak in my black tubs of, uh, we call it gardener's revenge uh, fertilizer, and it will rot those roots so that they can't propagate. But that creates a fantastic organically produced liquid fertilizer that can be used. You do want to water it down because it is going to be very concentrated. But it stores fantastically in just used two liter bottles. Now, if you're like us and you don't drink a lot of soda, you can reach out to local bars that um, a lot of bars and pubs will use two liters for their soda. Um, event venues sometimes will use two liter bottles in lieu of uh, fountain soda. So you can ask them if you can have them or you can just 
throw up a paste a post on your social media asking friends to collect them for you you can do the same with milk jugs um they don't work so well as the the watering can situation but they can be used to store this liquid fertilizer as well you don't want it to freeze only because you do run the risk of it freezing and bursting also it'll kill some of the natural biology that's inside that material if it freezes you do want to keep it at room temperature or at least cool um, so no direct sunlight for example and like i said it, it it i say indefinitely it it does need to be used within a year or two um i've seen it being used up to five years though it loses its potency and efficacy after a while um, it does smell terrible, I will tell you that. It smells just absolutely putrid, but it works great and plants absolutely love it. And it's much healthier for your garden and is cheaper than using a synthetically created liquid fertilizer. Um, those are the main ways that we recycle on our homestead here at Hogs and Hens Urban Farm. Um, we do a lot of those different techniques in our food forest, and they are ways that we are not only saving money, but many of those are also ways that we are keeping garbage out of the landfill, which helps the environment. So if you have any questions or if you have ideas, please share them below in the comments. And if you are enjoying these tips, make sure that you follow us uh, to be alerted when the next episode is listed. Typically, we post shows on Wednesday afternoons. Uh, today, we're a day late. Like I said, I've been sick. I had no voice at all yesterday. But typically, you can listen for episodes on Wednesdays. And occasionally, there'll be special episodes in between. We do have a special guest episode coming up, so stay tuned for that. We are going to be talking with Lori Osterlo Hagman, uh, the Herb Chick uh, from the Herb Chick LLC. And she's going to be talking to us about an event that's coming up in Lima, Ohio in February. It's called HerbalCon. It is going to be a fantastic event. You're going to want to get tickets to if you're in the area because there are vendors and speakers and it's going to be an amazing place to learn about herbs and plants and herbology and all things natural and so stay tuned for that episode. Uh, we will be speaking with her later this week. That episode should go up on Wednesday. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope your garden grows fantastically and I wish you the best. Have a great day. Goodbye.